Hi, welcome to the eighth episode of The Case Against with Gary Meese. A continuing look at the West Memphis Three case. Uh, my name is Gary Meese. I wrote uh, several books on the subject, uh, Blood on Black, Where the Monsters Go, and a revised, condensed compilation of those two first first two volumes called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. And the title of that will give you some idea of where my, I, I stand on the question of innocence or guilt in this case. And um, I recognize that's a minority opinion, but uh, I'm certainly not alone in that opinion. And among those who've looked closely at the case, I venture to say that the uh, guilt, guilties, the guilty, the ones who uh, argue for guilt are probably about as common as the ones who. Uh, promote the idea that the West Memphis Three were innocent. Um, I'm going to be talking today about one of the more crucial aspects of the case, uh, and it may not seem to be that relevant to some people, but um, it's part of among other things, it's part of the continuing misinformation that, that's put out about about the case. Um, there are many aspects uh, that get repeated mindlessly in the media about this case, and one of them, the one I'm going to address today, is that the West Memphis Three really weren't—they weren't really friends. They really didn't know each other. It might be just be slight acquaintances, and um, particularly uh, Damien. I don't think anybody argues that Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin weren't friends, but uh, their relationship to Jesse Muskelly <coughs> Excuse me. I don't start coughing. If I do, I'm, I'll, I'll shut this down and restart. Um, Jesse Miskelly, uh, the relationship to Jesse Miskelly is is often brought up as if they barely knew him, and that's just it's just not the case. Um, and this is crucial because, in fact, um, the fact that Miskelly was very well acquainted with uh, Baldwin and Eccles and actually hung around with them, did various things. I mean, if you listen to his confessions, he says he was involved in uh, occult rituals with them. Um, I'm not really sure he was so much taken in by this as maybe it was just something to do in the trailer park in the evenings, another excuse to drink beer. But uh, the fact that Miskelly kept talking to Vicki Hutchinson, his friend, was also whose child was friends with the, the, 
the three boys that were killed, Michael, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and that by a really odd coincidence, she became almost immediately involved in the investigation of the case simply by being at the, the police station at the time. The Marion police station at the time, the news came in that the three boys had been found and they were dead, and her son happened to be with her. Uh, and, you know, she just moved two or three weeks before to uh, from uh, the neighborhood of the three boys to the trailer park where Jesse Miskelly lived. He spent a great deal of time with her, did chores with her, apparently did some babysitting for her. And he talked quite a bit about Damien Eccles. And this, after a while, after having talked to quite a few other acquaintances of Eccles and quite a few other people, uh, the police brought Miskelly in to talk to him to see, well, maybe he's got something we, maybe he's got some new information. He wasn't on the list of potential suspects uh, based on any information that, that are, is available in the record. Um, they didn't really, they weren't thinking in turn, and, you know, the, the standard story is they brought him in so they found a, a patsy that they could force into a confession so they can uh, scapegoat Damien Eccles because he wore black t-shirts and listened to Metallica. Damien was on the, on their uh, radar for other reasons, and I've gone into that already, and I'll continue to go into that, but he was on their radar as a, a very likely suspect because he'd been spotted near the scene of the crime by a family on the evening of the crime, because he'd given some very strange and provocative answers to uh, questions and in interviews, including displaying some special knowledge, uh, most particularly that one of the boys was cut up more than the others. Uh, a friend of his had come forward and said that Damien had confessed to him when he was drunk. Damien was drunk. <clears throat> then he'd also da said Damien had said that the next day that he he didn't really um, mean it. You know, he just was talking when he was drunk. However, it was a confession that was from an acquaintance of uh, Eccles, and the police had that had that, and they were thinking they were going to be able to use that at trial against him until. Uh, and they were correct until, you know, Ron Lax injected himself in. It's basically scared uh, William Jones, Kenneth Watkins, and uh, Buddy Lucas all from, from testifying to the things that they'd, they'd been told by either Eccles or Miss Kelly. Anyway, the the chap the title of the chapter, and this is the first chapter from full fledged chapter from Blood on Black, is <clears throat> I thought we were sort of friends. Here goes. Uh, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin were best friends, blood brothers, two boys from the trailer park who had formed an inseparable bond. In May of 1993, Eccles was a high school dropout who received Social Security disability checks due to various mental illnesses. He stayed some of the time 
at his parents' home at Broadway Trailer Park in West Memphis. In some of the time at his 16-year-old pregnant girlfriend's home in Lakeshore Estates, a trailer park between West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas. Jason's trailer was just down the street from where Dominique Tier and her mother lived. Eccles' parents had recently remarried after years of separation. His mother, who had lifelong troubles with mental illness, had divorced his stepfather the previous year over allegations of sexual abuse of Eccles' younger sister, Michelle. The sprawling, trash-strewn trailer parks were near where Interstate 55 came from the north to join East-West Interstate 40 for a brief stretch through West Memphis. While Baldwin, a skinny 16-year-old, lived in Lakeshore and attended Marion High School, much of his social life revolved around the video galleries, bowling alley, and skating rink across the interstate in West Memphis. Baldwin lived with two younger brothers and a mentally ill mother who had recently separated from his habitually drunken stepfather. His mother's new boyfriend, a chronic felon, had moved in a few weeks ago. Eccles told officers handling a juvenile offense in May 1992 that he and Baldwin were heavily involved in, quote, gray magic, unquote. One of their mutual friends, Jesse Miskelly Jr., 17, a school dropout and another trail park teenager, was regarded as a bully and a troublemaker. Miskelly had been in repeated trouble for attacking younger children, he eventually would admit that he had been involved in satanic rituals with Eccles and Baldwin. <clears throat> One of the West Memphis Three myths is that Miskelly was a distant acquaintance of the other two. Miskelly <clears throat> and Baldwin had been off and on as close friends for years, and Miskelly and Eccles often spent time together. In a letter to a girlfriend, Heather Clyatt, written from the detention center, this is after his arrest, Baldwin, showing a sense of betrayal, wrote, What gets me is why Jesse would make up such a lie as that, because I thought we were sort of friends, except for the night at the skating rink when he tried to steal my necklace, and that made me pretty mad, but not as mad as all this is making me. Mara Leverett's book, that's unquote, uh, Marl Everett's book, Dark Spell, Surviving the Sentence, tells of Baldwin's first encounter with Miskelly on his first day in sixth grade at Marion Elementary School. According to the book, Miskelly attacked Baldwin without provocation during recess, quote, hollering like he meant to kill him, unquote. In eighth and ninth grades, the two boys lived on the same street in Lakeshore. They, quote, got to be pretty good friends, unquote. Around that time, Eccles' grandmother moved to Lakeshore, and Eccles began hanging out, mowing lawns, and using the money to fund his interest in skateboards. In Life After Death, Eccles described first noticing Baldwin, quote, a skinny kid with a black eye and a long blonde mullet, unquote. There's no explanation for why he had a black eye, by the way. Eccles was struck by the number of music cassettes Baldwin carried in his backpack, quote, Metallica, Anthrax, Iron Maiden, Slayer, and every other hair band a young hoodlum can desire, unquote. 
after his nanny, his grandmother, suffered her second heart attack and had her leg amputated, the Eccles family moved to Lakeshore. In Life After Death, Eccles described Lakeshore as, quote, as full of, quote, run-down and beat-up, unquote, mobile homes filled with jobless drunks and addicts who earned their money through petty crime or scrounging up recyclables. Echoes more recently imagined uh, that uh, the dilapidated, dilapidated trailers somehow have improved with age along with the neighborhood. Quote, I suppose it would now be considered lower middle class. Unquote. Not so. While some of the homes are kept up nicely, many of the yards are littered. Use roam the streets aimlessly and trailers often catch fire, sometimes from meth labs. Lakeshore residents routinely show up in municipal court hearings, often for petty crimes and drug offenses, for failing to appear at hearings, for not paying fines, for the sort of offenses committed by small, chronic small-timers everywhere. The lake at Lakeshore is the same scrum, scummy, trashy stinkhole that Eccles remembered. And, I, you know, I, I will say that... Uh, I worked in West Memphis. I was a managing editor at the West Memphis Evening Times for several years, and uh, I know I went out to a fish kill once at uh, Lake Shore. Uh, took some pictures. There were a bunch of dead fish in there. It was it was green and scummy then. Uh, I didn't go through there often, but I went through through there often enough. That was out of the way, but, uh, you know, I routinely would see stray dogs roaming around, uh, kids just, it's school day and the kids would be roaming around the streets. Uh, some of the homes were well kept up and I would say some of them looked, you know, uh, pretty presentable, but a lot of them were very run down. Uh, the Trailer park, they call it a subdivision of the trailer park where uh, Jesse Miskelly lived wasn't any better. And honestly, I think it may have been worse and that there just seemed to be a lot of trash thrown around and, you know, abandoned cars and abandoned this and abandoned that just sitting around in yards. Um, probably had some illegal auto repairs going on while I was there uh, that was provoking some controversy and I get calls about that not you know not all the time but often enough <clears throat> and drove through there and on occasion and you know I could see could see there was some stuff going on and I would suggest some of it looked pretty illegal uh, just in terms of running a business someplace uh, with <laughs> with with some possibly very questionable associations if you're, you know, running an auto repair shop someplace. Maybe the autos you're getting may not be still attached to their owners, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, and I'm not alleging that about any particular person or, or location. Uh, and I went to municipal court hearings, and this is just the stuff I saw all the time. Anyway, his idea that this is a lower, you know, middle class in any sense of the word, it's it, it's about as low as you can get uh, and still be, you know, 
live in some place besides a tent in the United States of America in this day and age. These trailer parks are located right uh, in a little area right between uh, Marion, Arkansas and West Memphis, Arkansas. It's not a far walk to either place from, from uh, these trailer parks, but neither municipality, uh, but they're in the county, neither municipality has uh, chosen to take them in. Uh, I believe they're both, I know they're both in the Marion School District. In fact, part of West Memphis is in the Marion School District, or at least it was when I was there a few years ago, uh, based on some archaic uh, boundaries that were set up that uh, Marion was reluctant to to relinquish since a lot of the tax base was, (laughs) this was along the interstate and a lot of the tax base was was there. So I, I presume they were getting... They would have been getting some of the benefit of the businesses that were thriving on the service roads over there. Um, and it was not far, not far to the Walmart from uh, Lakeshore Estates, get into this some in the book. It was not far to Marion's, Marion at all from, I mean, basically Marion was across, right across the street from where, uh, Miss Kelly lived. So these two areas were very close together. Don't believe, if Eccles, talks, Eccles has talked about the uh, West Memphis Marion being within 15 mile radius of West Memphis, well, that's true. <laughs> so is the Mississippi River Bridge and much of, much of Memphis is within a 15 mile radius and all sorts of things are within a 15 mile radius of, uh, of uh, West Memphis, but Marion is within, I mean, their borders literally touch at some points and they're not that far away any, any, by any measure. Anyway, get some idea of what, what this is about, uh, in terms of social standing and social class because it does get to be crucial as, as this go on, as this goes on and Eccles makes a point today how they were that they were throwaway kids and and uh, trailer trash and nobody cared about them and there may be some truth to that but the truth the truth is is that the local officials dealt with an awful lot of kids who were in came from dire economic circumstances West Memphis is by a lot of standards, is a poor town. It's a very rough town. Uh, and, the, you know, the police were dealing with this. So there was, there was nothing special in terms of Eccles, Eccles and Baldwin's status as far as, and Muskelly's status as far as being at the low end of the social scale there. Uh Anyway, back to the book. Lakeshore is still populated by many carnies and other itinerant workers. Remains a hotbed of occultism, witchcraft, and Satanism, with the West Memphis Three having achieved the status of folk heroes. Similarly, Eccles in Life After Death described Marion High School as a sort of, quote, rural, quote, Beverly Hills 90210, 
quote, a place where kids drove brand new cars to work, school, wore Gucci clothing, and had enough jewelry to spark the envy of rap stars, unquote. Actually, the students of Marion High were and still are the typical mix of modestly attired kids from a modestly middle-class community. Marion is a small Arkansas town with a traditionally agriculture-based economy with a number of residents who commute to jobs across the river in Memphis. As in many similar towns, a deeply entrenched elite holds sway over most municipal affairs. Their style is far from ostentatious. Marion is not an elite suburban community, though Marion residents do hold themselves aloof from the larger, predominantly black, and considerably rougher town of West Memphis to the immediate south. Median income in Marion today is roughly twice that of West Memphis. By comparison, median income in the elite Memphis suburb of Germantown is roughly twice that of Marion. Nonetheless, there was a class divide between the trailer park kids and the more affluent students. Local teen Jason Crosby described, quote, high society people, who would, which would be the people who come to school in shirt and tie, don't want to get messed up, want to stay on the sidewalk all the time, unquote. Among parents, students with parents, among students with parents with steady jobs, a strong work ethic, no arrest record, and solid social standing, kids from the trailer parks often didn't fit in. As outsiders together at Marion Junior High, Damian and Jason became fast friends, sharing interest in music, skateboarding, and video games. In Life After Death, Damian described how he met Miss Skelly through Jason. Knocking on the door of the Baldwin trailer, Damien was told that Jason was over at Miss Skelly's trailer, four or five trailers away. Damien described Miss Skelly as a short, greasy, manic figure prone to funny and slightly odd antics. The Miskellys were pumping up the tires on the old trailer and moving it to Highland Trailer Park just across the way that very day. Still, Eccles said, quote, I never did see Jesse a great deal, but we became familiar enough to talk when we met. Jason and I would run into him at the bowling alley and spend an hour or two playing pool or hang out a little while at the Lakeshore store. And that description is hardly a, uh, and this is, that's Eccles' own words. That's, that's a description of, hardly a description of somebody who d doesn't really know them, know somebody. If you're playing pool for somebody, with somebody for an hour or two, they're at least a pretty good acquaintance. And this, he describes this as something that was a recurring thing, re recurring uh, ritual, but a recurring occurrence. He, they would run into Miss Kelly here and there because they were all hanging out and doing stuff at these places, and there was a lot of interaction between these three. I'm not just making, uh, you know, people who say say they were closely acquainted with, with each other aren't just making this up. And Echo's own words, you know, he says uh, otherwise he didn't, you know, he never really hung out that much with Miss Kelly. And truthfully, they don't sound like they would have had a whole lot in common. But, you know, they did play pool together. They hung out at the bowling alley together. They hang out at Skateland together. All the typical teenage hangouts that Eccles haunted, 
the Skelly Haunted too, and they were had a lot of interaction with each other at these places. We'll get in, we'll get into all that. Eccles' former girlfriend, Deanna Holcomb, described a tighter relationship between Eccles and the Skelly, naming Jason, Jesse, and Joey Lancaster as particular friends of Eccles. And she gave that information. I was going to say she gave it before the arrest. She may have given it in her testimony at trial, so I'm going to shut up about that. i got to go back and double-check that. Uh, when Damien moved up to high school, he left Jason a grade behind. Damien made no attempt to fit in and soon adopted his trademark all-black wardrobe, complete with black trench coat, partially inspired by the Johnny Depp character in Edward Scissorhands. All three hung around typical hangouts in West Memphis, such as the bowling alley, the skating rink, and video game booths. A surveillance video from the skating rink posted on William Ramsey's Occult Investigations YouTube account recently, well, this is a few years ago, recently showed Eccles and Miskelly as two of the older boys hanging out at the skating rink soon after the killings. Jennifer Bearden was a 12-year-old Bartlett girl when she first encountered the three killers at the rink around February 1993. She struck up a romantic relationship with the 18-year-old Eccles. Concerning Miss Skelly, quote, I knew him a little bit. I saw him at the skating rink several times, unquote. Asked about the relationship from Miss Skelly to the other two, she testified in an August 2009 hearing, quote, Whenever we were at the skating rink, uh, Jesse was, he, he was a little bit louder. He was a little bit more, I don't know. He liked to cause a little bit more trouble. We kind of liked to stay to ourselves. There was an incident that he stole the eight ball from the pool table at the skating rink. And uh, he showed it to us and actually Damien and Jason got blamed for it. And they got kicked out of the skating rink for it. They were pretty upset with him, unquote. So there was, <laughs> there was an incident with a necklace, and there was an incident with the eight ball at the at the at the at the skating rink. So those two that 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 uh, Baldwin and and presumably Eccles and Eccles as well sort of blame Miskelly for, but you know. Uh, they seem to have been, for some people that don't seem to know each other very well, they seem to be having a lot of interaction. This girl knew, knew uh, Baldwin and Eccles from weekly visits to the skating rink on Friday nights from February, February uh, of uh, 1993 through presumably their arrest in June 1993. So February, March, April, May, over, you know, four months or so, three, three to four months, she had gotten a pretty good idea who Muskelly, a very good idea of who Muskelly was, of his character, of his interaction, of his relationship with, uh, some of his relationship with, uh, Baldwin and Eccles doesn't really argue that they barely knew each other.
Joseph Samuel Dwyer, a younger playmate of Baldwin living two doors down at Lakeshore in 1993, described in a hearing on August 14, 2009, what he knew of the relationships among Eccles, Baldwin, and Miskelly. Dwyer said that he knew Miskelly quite well from the neighborhood, particularly since Miskelly's stepmother, Shelbya Miskelly, separated from Big Jesse, who was Miskelly's father, lived on the same street as Dwyer in Baldwin, and uh, and also uh, Dominique Tier. Uh, though Dwyer was in frequent contact with the Baldwin boys, he merely knew Eccles but did not associate with him. Eccles shared few interests with both both boys and usually dressed in black. Quote, I just never really hung out with him or even tried to get to know him, testified Dwyer. He explained, I really didn't have anything to do with him just because, uh, just the way he acted. We'd get off the school bus and he'd be standing there. It was almost like craving attention in an all-black outfit so all of the kids on the bus would see him. Unquote. Dwyer pegged Eccles as a poser who reveled in drawing negative attention to himself. Quote, he liked horror movies. He would talk about watching horror movies and stuff like that. Unquote. I mean, personally, I don't see anything wrong with liking horror movies, but I guess some of it has to do with the way you might be talking about it. And I suspect that's what was going on there. But anyway, in an affidavit in 2006, Dwyer said of Eccles, quote, I didn't like what I saw of him. He liked to call attention to himself. One day he painted a star over one of his eyes. Damien was a talker. He liked to say things to get people's attention. Unquote. Dwyer characterized Miskelly as a, quote, trailer park redneck, unquote. Dwyer recalled the relationship of Baldwin and Eccles. Quote, I did see Damien and Jason together after Jason started getting friendly with Damien. I was around him less than before because I didn't like Damien. I knew that after Jason started hanging out with Damien, he got a trench coat just like Damien's. It was a long black trench coat. Damien had a certain way of talking, and Jason picked up some of Damien's way of talking. Unquote. Another myth in the standard West Memphis Three storyline is that the police pegged Damien as the killer partially because he wore a black trench coat. In 2009, Dwyer explained, The trench coat thing, at the time, that was sort of a fashion fad. I had one. Uh, everybody, if they didn't have one, they wanted one. That was kind of a fashion thing. It was the rock shirt, rock t-shirts, and the trench coat. Unquote. So, everybody had or wanted to have a black trench coat as part of a fashion thing along with rock t-shirts back in 1993 in Lakeshore Estates. Baldwin and Eccles tiresomely claimed they were singled out, persecuted, arrested, and convicted because they, quote, didn't dress like everyone else, unquote. But everybody, according to Jace, uh, Joseph Dwyer, wanted to dress the way they dressed. Dwyer added, everybody out in the trailer park was terrified. Everybody was profiled because of our rock t-shirts, the trench coat, the long hair. 
everybody look at us like we were just part of this cult thing, and it was totally made up, if you ask me, just totally made up. And we all felt like we could just as easily have been uh, picked as a suspect because we were in the same trailer park, dressed the same. We were all scared about that. Channel 3 News, all the news stations were drive, riding through there every day trying to film us as we were walking down the street, you know. It's good. That's that's unquote. There's good argument there that if that style of dress was that common, then that style of dress was not that uncommon. Which is what I've been saying all along about Jason. I think Eccles dressing in all black, dyeing his hair. I don't know if he dyed. I think his hair is actually just all black, but. You know, he did everything he could to accentuate his the darkness of his hair, uh, the pallor of his skin, etc. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, he wanted to stand out, and he managed to get some attention that way. But as far as Baldwin standing out from from the other kids in the crowd, it's really kind of hard to imagine. He looks as I've said repeatedly, like a generic teenager from 1993. He would fit right in on a Beavis and Butthead cartoon in every sense of the word. <laughs> anyway, back to the text. Eccles testified that after he began dressing in all black, other students followed his example. Consider, too, the myth that the boys were singled out for their interest in heavy metal. In 2006, Dwyer said, Dwyer, in 2006, Dwyer said, quote, A lot of people in our age groups at that time were interested in rock and roll music and in heavy metal music. I remember that after the three boys were found dead and the news cameras came out to Lakeshore from time to time, anyone wearing a metallic t-shirt or some other heavy bet metal band t-shirt was viewed as a devil worshiper, especially if the person had long hair. Unquote. Obviously, long-haired kids who were heavy metal fans were common, as were black t-shirts. At trial, defense attorneys elicited police testimony that Eccles was wearing a Portland Trailblazers black t-shirt on the night of his arrest, establishing no clear in that black t-shirts were mainstream enough to be worn by NBA fans or by Reba McIntyre fans, as demonstrated by a t-shirt from the Miskelly home. Juvenile officer Jerry Driver testified about Miskelly's links to Baldwin and Eccles in Miskelly's trial. Driver, who died in August 2016, had seen the three together for the first time around November 15, 1992 at Lakeshore. Damien, Jason, and Jesse walked by while he and the sheriff's deputy were dealing with a suspected drunken driver. Quote, it was nighttime. They all had on long black coats, and Damien had a slouch hat, and they all had staffs. Long sticks that we were walking with. Miskelly, unquote, uh, Miskelly dismissed the story as ridiculous during one of his many confessions, saying he did not have a black coat. Driver's account has been widely ridiculed, though never refuted. Driver repeated the story at the Eccles-Baldwin trial. 
quote, we saw three gentlemen walking by, Damien Eccles, Jesse Miskelly, and Jason Baldwin, with long quotes, unquote, and, quote, long sticks or staffs, unquote. Uh, driver had seen them together on a few other occasions, quote, maybe two or three times, uh, quote, twice, I think, at, uh, at Walmart and once out at the trailer park, unquote. Otherwise, he had seen Eccles and Baldwin together dressed in black. I don't know if about the three, the three of them walking around with Eccles wearing a slouch hat and the three staffs. It's a little over the top, but then Eccles was a little bit over the top. And I suppose he, Baldwin apparently had a black trench coat as well. Uh, Biskelly says he didn't have a black uh, didn't have a black coat. I tend to believe him, but you know, I, I think uh, driver saw something that made something suspicious with those three that day. Some maybe the way they carried themselves. Maybe Eccles did walk around a lot of times with long black coat on and carrying a staff. Uh, looking like the black black magic counterpart of Gandalf the Grey, except, of course, he didn't have the long beard. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, you know, I'm a little agnostic on this point. I, driver, I, I generally believe Driver was not just making stuff up, but... You know, did he did he actually see them, them doing that that day? It doesn't prove if they did anything. They doesn't prove they committed murder. We're already establishing that they were well acquainted with each other, and we also established that wearing black t-shirts and even black trench coats was apparently not that uncommon in the trailer parks. So it's not that important a point. Um. Anyway, uh, back to the text. Eccles. Girlfriend Dominique Tier in a September 10th, 1993 statement surprised Deputy Prosecuting, Pro, Deputy Prosecuting Attorney John Fogelman by volunteering that, quote, Jesse came around after them kids was killed, unquote. Fogelman says, okay, what do you mean by that, that he came around after the kids were murdered? What do you mean, unquote, Dominique? I mean, the boy shows up a week after them kids were killed. Out of nowhere. I mean, we hadn't seen Jesse for months. I mean, he did that when he, Damien and me got back together and Damien was living with his stepdad, Jack. All of a sudden, Jesse comes showing up and the first time we've seen Jesse since the year before that. Let me stop right there. Obviously, Jennifer Bearden was seeing, was in the company of Damien Eccles at the skating rink on Friday nights. And Dominique apparently wasn't there because I don't think she would have appreciated Damien hanging around with Jess, Jen, Jennifer Bearden, even though the, the little girl was only 11 or 11 years old, I think at the time, maybe 12. I think she turned 12 during the investigation time. But she was she was a, a, a pre well, she was a young child. She was a pre-teenager. Uh, here's an 18-year-old man. Uh, with in this so-called romantic relationship with a uh, 11, 12-year-old girl, he's got a pregnant girlfriend. 
that he's, you know, lead, leading along, uh, misleading, I think it's probably more to the point. Um, you know, he was young, uh, obviously had poor judgment. He still speaks to low character. Feel free to disagree, but, you know, I, I don't have any problem saying that that's pretty reprehensible behavior even in an 18-year-old and particularly showing some sort of sexual interest in a 11, 12-year-old, it's a crime. People go to jail for that, and they should. Anyway, Fogelman asked Dominique, and then when then Jesse was around quite a bit then, Dominique, every once in a while, like once or twice, yeah, I saw him. I mean... When all the cops were bringing everybody in and all and talking to everybody, it was like two days after the cops were coming around. Um, Jesse came over to Jason's house one day while I was sitting there and wanted Damien to take Blockbuster movies to Blockbuster. Uh, and they went and I guess took Blockbuster movies back and they wound up over at Jesse's house because his mom had come over to get Damien, Damien's mom, because he was supposed to be at Jason's house. And it made me mad, and I called over to Jesse's and said, where's Damien? And he goes, uh, Jesse and Damien's on his way back. Matthew, just come get him. That's Damien, uh, that's Jason's uh, younger brother. I said, I know, I sent Matthew over there to come get him because his parents are here. And then I hung up the phone. Fogelman. And about when did that happen after this Wednesday? He's talking about the day of the murders. May 5th, 1993 was a Wednesday. Dominique, uh, it was about like that next week. Okay, unquote. That would have been when Damien's parents supposedly were temporarily separated, according to some contradictory accounts of Eccles' mother, Pam, and after Damien had been interviewed by police several times and failed the polygraph. Yeah, I won't even get into the very complicated, maddeningly goofy version of events that uh, Pam, Pam Eccles, Pam Hutchison, Pam Metcalf told police about uh, about what went on at her household on on uh, May fourth, nineteen ninety three, the night before uh, the killings. I mean, basically, the short version is she told police initially that they'd separated that day after seeming to forget, oh, yeah, by the way, they separated. And then uh, later contradicting herself on those dates. It simply doesn't make a lot. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time, and it doesn't make a lot of sense now. The police were puzzled by it, and it didn't help the Eccles case at all that his mother came up with these goofy stories. When, you know, supposedly she might be, she's one of his uh, alibi witnesses and she can't keep this something that, that basic straight. Anyway, uh, Jesse was trying to get Damien and self-appointed detective Vicki Hutchinson together about that time. We're talking about back whenever 
this interaction with Dominique calling over to uh, uh, Jesse's house and sending Matthew Baldwin over there to get Damien. Uh, quote, Dark Spell, unquote, Dark Spell described Baldwin's version of the visit. According to Baldwin, Miss Kelly showed up unexpectedly at the Baldwin trailer because a friend from Highland Trailer Park wanted to meet Eccles. Dominique told Fogelman that she had seen Miskelly a total of three times. The first time we had come up the street and he was messing around with Matt and we thought somebody was getting beat up because they were all screaming and hollering out there. And when we walked out there, and when we walked out, there was Jesse, unquote. Messing around with younger kids was routine for Jesse. That's my take on that. And the second time I seen him, they had come over there, and me and Damien was together, and they had just come knocking on the door with him and BJ. And that was the last time I'd ever seen him until that time that he, quote, came over, uh, this is all, quote, came over to Jason's to get go get Damien, unquote. Charlotte Bly Beloy, I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced, it's B-O-L-O-I-S, though it's quite possible they pronounce it Belois or who knows. But anyway, who lived at Lakeshore the summer of 1992 and visited there often, told police that Eccles and Miss Kelly were close friends at that time, constantly seen together with her cousin, Buddy Lucas. She also described how Miss Kelly got into a fight in uh, June 1992 with her husband, Dan Beloy. Quote, my husband has two younger brothers. One is fixing to be 16 and the other one is fixing to be 18. And he started a fight with my husband's two younger brothers, my husband's younger brothers. And uh, my husband went up there and asked him what was the deal. The little Jesse Miskelly was going to pull a knife, but I got behind Jesse and took the knife from him. Unquote. The younger brothers were John and Shane Pershecki, Pershek. And there have been various accounts of fights involving John Pershek. Uh, Beloyd, this is Charlotte Beloyd, just recalled a fight, quote, right there at my trailer, unquote, with Biskelly. Him and my husband got into a fight later on down Fool Lake. So Fool Lake is a one of the several lakes. Quite, there are quite a few lakes in uh, Crittenden County, and that's one of them. That was the fight involving a knife. She requested that Miskelly give her the knife. Quote, and he turned around and handed me the knife. I said, if you're going to fight, fight fair. He busted a hole in my husband's lip, unquote. A recent account from a West Memphis resident who asked that her name be withheld painted a disturbing portrait of Damien, Jason, and Jesse interacting with children from the neighborhood where their victims lived. Quote, in 1993, I used to live in Mayfair Apartments. I lived in the townhouses that are located in the back of the complex. I lived there for around a year and a half. One day I was coming home and parked in front of a park on the property close to my apartment. As I parked, I noticed three teenage boys and three young boys. It caught me as strange because one of the teenagers was dressed all in black with a long black coat. The other two were standing a few steps back from the one in black. So I sat there in my car watching for a few minutes. The teen in black was coaching those three little boys. I guessed at the time they were eight or nine years old. 
how to hold their bikes on their shoulders and climb a ladder of a slide and how to ride down. The other team boys were just standing a little behind the one in black, not doing much except watching and laughing from time to time. One was kind of stocky, the other one skinny. As an aside, Miskelly's kind of stocky. He's really short. He was about 5'2 at the time of his arrest, and I'm not sure he's much taller now. And uh, Baldwin was ridiculously thin at, at the time of his arrest. I think he weighed something like 115 pounds, and he's 5'7", 5'8". Um, uh, back to the this this uh, account from this West former West Memphis resident. One was kind of stocky, the other one skinny. It didn't seem to bother them that I was watching. They saw me. Anyway, one of the little boys was about to start down up the ladder, so I got out of my car and told him to get down. That's when the teen in black made a couple of steps toward me and said, "I need to shut the." F-U-C-K up and take my ass into my apartment. This was none of my business. At that point, I said if it didn't stop, I was going to call the police. Then I was called an effing bitch. So I got my kids out of my car as he stood there and watched. He watched me all the way to my apartment. It was kind of frightening. I go to call the police, but look back out there to see if he or they were headed toward my apartment. If instead, they just left. So I decided to not call the police and never thought anything else of it. About three weeks to a month later, three eight-year-old boys were murdered in the woods right out the back door of the apartment I used to live in. I remember thinking I was so glad we had moved. Well, then I was watching the news showing that three teenagers had been arrested. When I saw the pictures of the boys, I told my husband that the one called Damien Eccles was the one that cussed me out and was the one trying to make the kids carry their bikes up the slide. I also recognized the other two boys. They were Jesse Miskelly and Jason Baldwin. The three little boys I saw Eccles, Miskelly, and Baldwin with that day, I can't swear was Michael, Stevie, or Chris. I do remember one of the boys was blonde and one had a red bike. If I'm remembering correctly, it was the blonde that had the red bike on his shoulder. I wasn't really watching the little boys. I was paying more attention to the three boy, teen boys and what they were doing. I never told anyone what I saw, but family and friends, I never thought it was very important at the time since they had caught them. I was in my early 20s working, taking care of two young kids and my grandparents. My husband was working and going to school at night. I had my hands full. Looking back, I wish I had told what I had saw. And that's the end of her statement, and that's the end of the chapter. Of course, I will, you know, this, this lady did not come forward. Actually, she, you could argue she didn't come forward. She, this was a, a, you know, she insisted on anonymity, and I'm, I'm going to honor that anonymity. And I cut out this account in the condensed version since I, I could, could not, I'm not concerned about her as a source to me personally, but since it was, I didn't, didn't have her to quote, I just cut it out, her name to quote. Um, and I had plenty of other information about the associations with uh, uh, Miskelly Baldwin and Eccles. Uh, briefly, I'll point out that uh, Baldwin, uh, not Baldwin, Eccles, according to his own testimony, walked through the area of uh, 
Robin Hood Hills, he walked, he had to, to, to get from to where he was going, according to his own description, he had to walk across the pipe that served as a bridge uh, over 10 mile bayou that led from the neighborhood where the boys lived to Robin Hood Hills. And he did that two or three times a week. He would do it in the afternoon, probably pretty close to the time that the children would have been getting out of school most days since he would go, he would go over to uh, Lakeshore when uh, he seems to have gone over there quite a bit when the timing was based on when Baldwin got out of school because he, 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 he seemed to prefer hanging out with Baldwin to hanging out with 16-year-old pregnant Dominie. Uh, Eccles had also lived in those apartments when he was a younger child, uh, seven, eight, nine years old, something like maybe younger. It's not really the time frame is not real clear on that. So he was familiar with the apartments. He was familiar with the area. Gone through there repeatedly. Uh, he had a an acquaintance. Uh, who was a stepbrother to some close friends of, of Eccles, the Wren brothers, the, the, the acquaintance was Frankie Knight, who said that he'd seen Eccles in the, the woods just a week or two prior to the killings. Uh, and there were a lot of rumors that strange things were going on in the woods. So was Eccles responsible for all that? Probably not. Was he responsible for some of that? Doesn't seem unlikely. Um, he certainly was responsible for the killings of these of Michael, Christopher, and Stevie. I think that's it for today. It's Super Bowl Sunday. My son's. <laughs> I live in an area where the Saints are very popular. I'm a Saints follower. I'm a Saints fan. I'm not a huge, huge, huge sports fan, but I am a faithful follower of the Saints and a few other sports teams. And my son's as a longtime fan of the New England Patriots. So unlike, there's a lot of people who are boycotting the Saints here today, <laughs> boycotting the Super Bowl today. They're not boycotting the Saints. They're boycotting the Super Bowl today. I'm not boycotting the Super Bowl. I'm going to go my intention is to go see it with my father this this evening. He'll probably fall asleep during during the game, and I'll probably come home and watch it at home. But the finale at home. But uh, you know, I am I am uh, rooting for the Patriots. So if you want to hate on me for something today, you can hate me because I'm a Patriots fan. Anyway. That's it for me today. Uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Bye.